Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. Linux Downtime? What? So yes, the name of this show has been changed. It was Late Night Linux Extra before, but I thought that Linux Downtime was more fitting for the tone of the show and also, frankly, to give it wider appeal. But if you've been enjoying it as Late Night Linux Extra, don't worry. It will be broadly similar. I mean, it's always changed this show. It's always evolved. But uh, I think that it's a better name for it. So this time we've got a chat with George Castro. Now, he introduced himself early on in it, so I won't uh, duplicate that here. I'll put some links in the show notes to check him out. But he is one of the most enthusiastic and positive guests that I've ever spoken to. We were talking about immutable file system distros and flat packs. And he told me all about how we've got this technology from the cloud that we can now use on the desktop to not only keep us on a par with trillion dollar companies like Apple, but actually to have some more features than they have in their desktop operating systems. His enthusiasm is just infectious. Before we get to that, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. LateNightLinux.com slash support for the details there. And remember, for $5 or more per month, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of Late Night Linux, Linux After Dark, and this show. And if you want to get in contact, show at LateNightLinux.com. So, let's get straight on with it then. Thanks for joining me, George. Well, thanks for having me. So, I've been meaning to talk to you for a long time, ever since on Linux After Dark, we started talking about immutable file system distros and Fedora Silverblue. That's kind of your thing, right? I'm really into it lately, yes. Why? What's so great about it? Well, uh, this is very interesting. So I had been involved with Ubuntu Desktop since the beginning, right? Like uh, 2004, Warty Warthog, the original ISO. And I had left Canonical to go do cloud at a Kubernetes company called Heptio. It transformed the way I thought about like distributed systems and server operating systems. That's when I discovered things like CoreOS and things like that. And I'd always kind of kept an eye, like I still ran a traditional Linux desktop the the whole time, but I kind of kept an eye of what was going and of what was happening in other projects, like around Silverblue and things like that. And as things started to come together in Silverblue land around Fedora 35, things really started to come together. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is actually usable for someone like me now. Um, and the more I got to use it, the more I loved it. And I started to write little scripts to make it work better for myself, that kind of stuff. And then I started to find other people who were interested in that. So that's where I kind of started. My first script was this thing called Ublue, which was a script that turns your Fedora silver blue into a more Ubuntu-like experience, right? Like it puts the dock on the left and that kind of stuff. And I started to find friends, you know, and I showed it to Wimpy. I showed it to my friend Marco Cepi. I showed it to my friend Adam. And then they started helping me out with the script. And then people really started to ask questions about, you know, well, what is a silver blue thing? So as I started hanging out in chat and channels, I started to become overwhelmed with information. So the first thing I did was make a list. That's like what I guess any nerd would do. And that started off as the awesome immutable list, I called it, uh, which is just a GitHub list of resources around people building systems like this. So I was able to grab a bunch of things from the Silverblue folks, um, OpenSUSE, Richard Brown and those folks have done a great job 
documenting, recording all their talks at FOSDEM and stuff over the years. So I started to link those up. I started to find things around Nix, uh, which is a similar system and GUIX and things like that. And then before I knew it, I started to find that a lot of people are looking into these systems, but there were still generally something missing when you read your traditional kind of Linux news announcement or Linux news sites. Um, I started to wonder, you know, how is it that this thing is so awesome, but general desktop users are still kind of using traditional Linux distros. So I was listening to your show um, because someone had posted that you were talking about this on the Fedora forums. So, um, and I'm not involved with the Fedora project in any way. I'm just a consumer of their stuff. I'm a big fan. And I started to listen to your show and I was like, oh, I remember when, you know, I was stumbling on those bits as well. So then I started to really write stuff in more of a long form thing. So I started, uh, I did a blog post called setting yourself up for success before moving to silver blue and talking to people in chat, doing all sorts of things. And then that kind of led me to get involved in different aspects of the stack that I wasn't expecting to. Um, so I started off being kind of the OS nerd and, but then kind of branched out to being the, well, I need applications for this. Let me go help them kind of thing. And then just kind of really enjoying, I've been using Unix systems my whole life. I'm like 46 and I've been using Unix since like Solaris, like you had to go to a lab at university, you know, that kind of stuff. And I've never had a Unix system like this before. It's not the most polished, but architecturally, I think it's very interesting that it is very fundamentally different operating system, but it's also just Fedora. So it's almost kind of like in my brain, I'm having an existential crisis of what an operating system and distro is supposed to be, right? And I'm using tools like DistroBox and Toolbox uh, to get whatever user, user space I want from any distro on my desktop quickly. And, you know, as I'm showing it to friends, they're like, this is, this is not what we grew up with, right? It's still Unix, it's still Linux, it's still Fedora, same binaries, um, but it's also different. And so you're daily driving this then? I did my due diligence for about three months. You know, I had some NVMs. And then at one point I went cold turkey. I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, you have to daily drive it. Because I think one of the first things you'll learn, I think, and from your experience is it's very much the first initial few days, like your day zero, your day one, can be very frustrating if you're not used to the model. And I find it very similar to cloud in a way where you front load all the work and you make a declarative statement of what your OS you want to be. And that's really annoying and you got to like do stuff. But then day two and the maintenance after is insanely trivial because you front loaded all the work. And I think that catches people off guard because you're used to like, okay, I'm going to try a new distro. You install it. You kick the tires. And then what do, we, what do we pick distros for to install packages, right? So you figure out the package manager, Try to find that little Rosetta Stone that tells you, you know, what the commands are compared to the package managers that you do know. And then you go, okay, that was pretty cool. You know, I like the wallpaper or whatever. And then you go and you move on to the next distro, right? If you're like trying new distros, if that's your thing. I think in a lot of ways, a lot of people that try systems like this miss out on the long-term benefits, which is little to zero, no maintenance and reliability in the package management system that you really can't get in a traditional Linux distro. So I've been putting a lot of thought into how do I help explain this to people? Because if you read the blogs and stuff from the people that write the stuff, it, it's a little heady, you know, like 
I didn't sit there and say, you know what is a great topic is Colin Walter's blog post on anti-hysteric systems or whatever. I don't even know how to pronounce that word, right? So I was like, you know, if I can get this, I think this is ready for people like me, people that, you know, listen to a Linux podcast or they play around, you know, they maybe have a home lab or an extra NUC or something in a back room and they're not afraid to experiment because, you know, while I, I believe something like Silver Blue is, is the coolest Linux as far as being put together right, there's still a lot of polish. In Fedora 34, the software installer tool, GNOME software, didn't even work. It just gave you a debus error every time. So we couldn't have these conversations until like Fedora 35, which I thought was interesting because when you listen to interviews with Fedora people, they tell you what a boring release it is, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. But for me, I'm like, what are they talking about? This thing is like, things are finally come together. And I think people miss understand a little bit. So I kind of made it my mission. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to teach people how this thing works and you know, I'm going to help document it. I'm going to help. If you look at Gemini's Ansible script and it makes your life a little bit easier, you can give it a shot. Right. And if you don't like the way it works, you can help improve it or you can do your own. And over time, I'm starting to actually get pull requests now from people who are doing work in the immutable, the quote unquote immutable space. There is innovation happening here. And I think it's great. And I think it's something that OS X kind of moved to this model over the past few releases. Windows is kind of stuck in that it's going to be mutable forever because it kind of has to support 30 years of something. But on Linux, we have containers. We can have abstraction layers between different stuff to allow us to kind of live in the new world, but not have to give up the stuff that we like from the old world, such as like older applications or things like that. Yeah, and if you look at Chrome OS, which is essentially the biggest Linux desktop, it's been doing it for years. Yes, yes. And I think that's part of the problem people get conflated. They say, well, it gives you the properties of Chrome OS and Android, right? And immediately they think, well, I don't like Chrome OS because it's limited. It doesn't let me do these things. Or I don't like Android because of whatever reason. But those are just the payloads. When we say it's like Chrome OS or Android, it's more of the kind of separation of the applications from the system image. Because ideally what I want is I want the reliability of a Chromebook, but I want the power of my normal Linux distro. I want the power of a Fedora or Ubuntu, whatever it is you use. And no one's really doing that. And what I think is interesting about what Fedora is doing is they give you the traditional distro, but they basically give you the same distro in a different model, in a different distribution model. And it kind of allows you to kind of look at both and then see what works for you. Because... What makes Chromebooks reliable is two parts. The software, bulletproof upgrades, you really can't break it. People still break Chromebooks, but it's a lot it's a lot easier to break Ubuntu or Mint or whatever than it is to break a Chromebook. And then the second piece they have is reliable hardware that they are working with the manufacturer to ensure that that works. If we were to try this 10 years ago, it wouldn't have worked because it, would, it was really hard to buy like a laptop that had all the right hardware-y stuff that totally works on Linux, right? You had to be very smart. And to this day, it's that's still kind of true, right? Like if you brought a framework laptop the day it came out, I think elementary worked on it, but like Fedora needed like a few more things. And then for everyone else, they're like, just wait till the next version of Ubuntu and then that one will work. You know, and some of that spills over from the hardware enablement work that companies have been doing for things like Chromebooks. But there are now multiple vendors that will sell you a laptop with like guaranteed Linux compatibility, right? Like you can get the hardware and now you can get the software. So I kind of see a future now that if I can have reliable 
packaging and upgrades and things like that in the operating system, and I have hardware that's supported in Linux, I can have that Chrome OS experience, but I can have the power as well of you know my Linux. And additionally, I get container goodies and all that kind of thing. So Flatpak is a huge part of this mm-hmm. because you actually have to get some applications running on top of Silverblue. Right. So you have been getting involved with the FlatHub community. Yes, I have been. So once I got my system up and running perfectly, I was actually bored. I didn't have anything to do because like it maintains itself. It's just, it's pretty awesome. I'm playing God of War through it right now on Silverblue and everything works amazingly. It's like this awesome experience, but there are applications that I need. And I think one of the questions when you ask people about FlatHub is they're like, well, who's running this? How trustworthy is this? Right. And distributions have been around for a long time, right? Like you could trust Fedora, you can trust an Ubuntu packagers and putting something bad in your operating system. Whereas Flathub is still was in kind of the wild west stage. And there was no methods there for you to be able to have that same chain of trust that you can have with your traditional Linux distro. Like I can take any package on any of my distros and find the eventual signature of the person that uploaded it. You know what I'm saying? And then they're not quite reproducible yet, but I could do a reasonable job of making sure that the thing that I'm running in my computer is like as Fedora intended, right? So I I sat there and I looked around and I knew one of the people working on Flathub, Rob McQueen, and him and I go way back via the Ubuntu and GNOME and Debian communities. And I sat in on one of their meetings and there's people from GNOME there. There's people from KDE there. There's people there from the Endless OS Foundation, which is where Rob works. And they were like, yeah, we're trying to build a thing but it's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, you have to have multiple people, you have like multiple stakeholders, right? Like you have those projects. These projects have been around for a long time, GNOME and KDE, things like that. You have distros that you're trying to convince to say, "Hey, enable this stuff," right? And so in order for them to enable something by default, they need to be able to trust you, right? So, as I started to talk, I having worked in distros, but currently not being affiliated with any distribution at all. I'm working in cloud now, so I don't really have like a distro that, like when I worked at Canonical, obviously I would take, you know, Ubuntu's interests, you know, when you're doing something, right? Same with any project that you're involved in. But I don't have any of those affiliations anymore. So I could just go in there and say, so what's, what's the task? Do we need to make this trustworthy so that distributions do it. We need to be able to talk to ISVs to ensure that if, someone wants a package and they install it, that they're getting the actual bits. So Rob was like, yeah, actually we have plans to do all of this. We just, we just need help getting the word out. And I was like, well, that's on something I could help with. So currently right now in FlatHub, there are plans for like a trusted method for you to be able to know whether a package is official or not, right? Like there's a check mark that says, for example, the Mozilla Firefox actually comes from Mozilla. That's actually different than someone else doing a rebuild of Mozilla because you can't really call it Mozilla, right? That's what you have. When people want to change Firefox, you're, you're, it's free software, right? You can change it as much as you want. You just can't call it Firefox if you change too many things, right? So you, you want to be ensure that the people that are making a thing have that integrity and that when I want Firefox, I get the branded Firefox. But if someone wants to take Firefox and fork it and call it their own thing, they should also have the freedom to be able to publish that you know, in a way. And then George, Fo- I don't think I could call it George Fox, but George's cool browser, you want to be able to confirm that that comes from George, if that's who it says it is, right? 
And and the same thing happens with uh, commercial software as well, right? Like I should be able to go somewhere and click and buy a thing, you know, and make sure that I'm getting the right bits. So this has long been a traditional problem for Linux, right? And we've all seen the XKCD where there's like 14 formats. Now we have 15. And I think for a lot of people, traditional packages won't go away. But as you start using systems like this and you start to realize, a lot of people don't realize that the traditional packages that they have have root on your computer. So, you know, I need to use Slack, Discord, Zoom, 10 or 15 applications, and each one in a traditional package manager, I'm installing those, and I'm I'm giving those organizations root access on my computer. And so far in the entire lifetime of traditional Linux desktops, the answer has kind of been, well, everyone's pretty cool about it, so that's a thing. Whereas on a flat pack, I can do flat pack run dash dash debug equals shell or something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I get you the right link and I can go into a shell and I could see what zoom the flat pack sees. And it only shows me three directories that it needs to function, but not my dot SSH directory, because why would I ever want zoom access to my SSH keys? But by default, this entire time we've been using Linux, you just install a package and that, and those packages have access to all the stuff. And it doesn't matter what distro you're using, you know, for most of the traditional ones. And this is kind of a problem. And I think it kind of shows that's why the Steam Deck is going to come with like an immutable OS. And it's the reason phones are the way they are. Isn't that arguably because it's just easier to update and easier for the manufacturers to support an immutable file system? Oh, you, yes. So that is an absolute benefit that you get. And I think you, you might hear this common um, critique of Flatpak and Flathub, right? You have your traditional Linux distro. Someone says, hey, try out this Flatpak stuff. It's pretty awesome, right? You go, you follow the instructions. Your Linux OS that you're using is, is worn in already, right? It's like where you live. You've got your applications installed. You know, it's running great. You're doing the Linux thing. You're feeling good about yourself. Someone says something, you add it. Then you install some applications, right? And then the next thing you know, you're installing a copy of KDE, a copy of GNOME. And then you look at it and you go, wait a minute. Now I have multiple copies of libraries everywhere on disk. Like, who does this belong to? What guarantees does this give me? It's not the same guarantees I'm getting from my operating system. And then they just get confused about the whole thing. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand. But I think when you look at systems like I'm, you know, I'm just using Silverblue. This might be micro OS, OpenSUSE micro OS or something. You know, maybe you're into Nix or something like that. Is people start to wonder, you know, they wonder, they see these new technologies and they say, are immutable OSs for me? Yes, no. Is Flatpak for me? Yes, no. Is Wayland for me? Yes, no. Are containers for me? Yes, no. Are copy on write file systems for me? Yes, no. And I think the answer is if you take a step back and look at these technologies, the answer is, is that they're all related. <laughs> and if you draw a circle and say your operating system now, right? And that's what you have, right? That's your traditional Linux, you know, Fedora, whatever it is. In a system like this, you take a solid line and you're cutting that circle in half. And on the left side is the system. On the right side is your applications. Now we need to decide what lives in the system side and what lives in the application. So when someone says, I don't like Flatpak because it installs a bunch of libraries I don't want, if you look at it in the context of Silverblue, that's why it's such a stripped down operating system because the application libraries now live with the applications on that side. And on the system side, 
you want to kind of cut that down as much as possible because you kind of have to do a reboot. So same as in Cloudland, you have this hyper focus of making that base image as small as possible because the system and the applications actually move at a different rate. The system is moving at the kernel's pace. Like the system's job is to support hardware and to run applications. And sometimes you get a laptop and it needs a new Wi-Fi driver, right? In traditional case, it's like, sorry, dude, you got to get rid of your LTS and wait for the next one or run the beta or, you know, distros work around that. That's why HWE was invented for Ubuntu, right? So you can backport that stuff so that you can buy a laptop and still use a stable OS because the hardware enablement and the applications are mixed together in traditional Linux distros. In stuff like this, you can have the system moving at the pace that it needs to. Now in Fedora, it's also strange because it also has a normal Linux distro. So in the case of Silverblue, it's moving at the same pace as Fedora, but the applications now are moving at their own pace. So what that means is instead of having these libraries having to follow the system, what if they could just follow the life cycle of the applications just like they do on server and cloud? Now, the system is always going to need libraries because it's an operating system. So it's going to have to have libraries to run applications. However, that base library that you pick depends on what you're into, right? If you're into GNOME, you're going to use Silverblue and you'll get the GNOME stuff. If you're into KDE, you'll use Kinoite. Kino- Do we figure out how to pronounce that? Kinoite, I think. Kinoite, yeah. So if you're a KDE person, you get that. And those are the default libraries that you get. And then that means that instead of the libraries following the system, they're kind of decoupled. And that gives us a lot of benefits, like the ability, and that's how you get the ability to be able to run any application, you know, that's in FlatHub on a wide variety of systems because these runtimes that come with you kind of give everything that applications that they need. An example, we had someone in chat who was like, wow, I'd really love to try this, but I use Unison, which is a older GTK app. And it's only available in OpenSUSE, and, and I'm only, you know I'm kind of stuck on this version of OpenSUSE until I can get this somewhere else. Instead of that, it becomes oh boy, I have an extra old runtime that I'm trying to get rid of because an old application is depending on it. But the application works, and you're not stuck on an older distro because you need an application, and you're also not stuck. You don't have to upgrade to get the applications that you want if your laptop is working perfectly, right? We've had that situation where you do an upgrade, you know, and it was like, oh man, if I only could have kept the stable version of the thing I had, but I kind of needed this new bling that I read about on the internet. You know what I mean? So by decoupling those two halves of the circle, as I've described, kind of unlocks a lot of things, including the abilities to just run user spaces from other distros right on Silverblue. So there's this project called DistroBox, um, and Toolbox is similar. I, I'm, I'm mentioning DistroBox in particular because that's also available on a bunch of other distros and Toolbox is generally still like a newer, the Go port is like a newer thing. And it just lets me run, like I open a terminal and I have Arch Linux and I can Pac-Man install stuff, graphical stuff and run it on my desktop. I can export those onto my host. So now that the applications and the OS are decoupled, I now have access to a bunch of applications if I want, right? Like I'm generally happy with flat packs. So, you know, these toolboxes let me bring that mutable aspect of my, the old world with me, right? I can add PPAs to them. I can break them. I can make one container per project. I can fork them. I can push them 
ideally someday push them to a registry and have your coworker download it, right? And that becomes your little development environment. The kind of things that you see cloud engineers doing on macOS and on WSL, what if we could have that in Linux, but without that VM layer that those two operating systems are stuck with, right? It's just a Linux container and Linux runs it natively. So the performance is just fantastic. I can open a terminal and I'm in a totally different distribution and I can't tell because there's no delay, you know? So then you start to wonder what is even, what distro am I running? Because I use Fedora, but I don't use DNF. I came from Ubuntu, so I use Ubuntu toolboxes and I use app to install the build dependencies that I need for my work projects and so on. So this kind of decoupling, I think, is something that people are just now starting to realize. So I got a pull request from Immutable. Someone said, you know what? I really like elementary OS, uh, but I'm on Fedora right now. And they built a prototype. It's called Sodalite of elementary OS, but built on Fedora. And he publishes his own OS tree and everything. You could rebase to it. And it's very interesting because he's now making a derivative of a distribution, but he also has that reliability of atomic operations. If you use that, you can't put your package manager in a situation where you added the wrong PPA or you new users commonly, they'll grab a deb from Debian and think that it works on Ubuntu because it worked once, right? And then people get themselves into trouble. You could still break Silverblue. It's still Fedora, right? Like you could still get a bad issue, right? But you can always revert. And I think that's very powerful. And we haven't had that in traditional Linux. And that's really why I'm kind of passionate about it, right? So I'm like, I'm going to go get as many apps as I can on this thing because this is great. Well, it's quite clear that you are a massive advocate of this. So thank you very much for coming along and uh, spreading the good word. Uh, I'll put a bunch of links in the show notes that you're going to send me. But um, if people want to get hold of you specifically, where's the best place? You can always find me at twitter.com slash CastroJO. And you'll find me posting on the FlatHub discourse forums because we're looking forward to posting a lot more news on things that we're working on and things like that. So you can follow along in the progress. Great. Well, I'll put links to all that in the show notes, as I said. And uh, thanks for joining me. And maybe we can speak again at some point. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks.